Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all of the aspects that it takes the, uh, your company to grow, build, develop, sell, market, price, customer perceived value in your revenue cycle. Today, I'm really thrilled to have Keith Campagna. Uh, Keith's company sells a really important tool uh, in value selling. So, Keith, Welcome. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. And so tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came uh, to, to where you are now at the ROI shop. Yeah, the abridged version is that out of college, I started selling forklifts and material handling systems in North Jersey. And sooner I learned sales in the real world that way. I wound up going about seven years later into ADP. So I dove into the human capital market when there was this thing called software as a subscription coming out into the world. We were moving people off of the client server model into the SaaS model, into the cloud. And then I spent a couple of years there, cut my teeth there, moved into benefit administration software. From there, I went to every sales rep's favorite expense automation tool, Concur where the, the five years I spent at Concur, I got to witness a phenomenally well-executed sales organization. They taught me a whole lot of good things about how to sell at the enterprise level. Uh, at the time I was there, they were acquired for $8 billion to give you some sort of perspective in terms of their effectiveness and their efficiencies. And then from there, I wound up going into back into HR tech with a company called Jobvite out there in Silicon Valley, where they had a full recruitment platform. And then what wound up happening at Jobvite, the private equity firm came in when they, they made some adjustments, you know, they laid off a bunch of the, the salespeople. And then at the time I was working, I actually met the CEO of the ROI shop while I was working at Concur because Concur was a client of theirs. And I saw firsthand as a sales rep, how the tool helped turn a nice to have into a need to have. And it was amazing, the, the results. So I was working with Mike Farber, the CEO, while I was at Jobvite, trying to help build a value calculator that we could use inside of the HR world. And once I separated from them, I brought a project to Mike we called HROI, because inside of the HR world, HR buyers for about eight or nine decades have been treated as a cost center which means they had no training, they had no technology, and they simply don't know how to buy software. They're too busy. So HROI was designed to help them build a business case for themselves and then take that to the CFO. We had a decent amount of success within the first couple months. And so it wasn't until this past January where Mike invited me to come in as the number three guy here at the ROI shop. And since then, I've been talking to unbelievably smart sales leaders, salespeople, sales enablers, and really, we're filling a gap with what we call the need and the, 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 
the value gap, right? You know all about this part. Yeah. The, there's a massive gap between showing value and how sales organizations help their sellers do that. Yeah, you know, I love the what the ROI shop does. You've given me a couple of demos and, and I'm a big believer. And this goes back to my observation over decades that the best sellers in the world are the sellers that don't just sell value. Those are good sellers, but the elite sellers are the ones that sell value to the point where they force the customer to think of that value in dollarized terms. Mm -hmm. um, you want a risk reduction product. You've got these risks, right? And what are they? Tell me about these risks and how bad are those risks? Those risks are really bad, right? That's good selling. That's very good selling. But elite selling is how many dollars a year do you spend on each of those risks? Yeah. Yeah. And that conversation forces that value that your customer has been talking with you about all along. And the, the movie in their head is be going from, you know, a black and white silent movie to more and more detail, better sound quality, better color. And once you get them to give you their problem measured in dollars, that movie, that value movie in their head is crystal clear detail. Yeah. And uh, so the ROI shop is a tool that asks the simple question, hey, how many dollars is this problem? Right. And you know, it's funny. We, we, I get to talk to a bunch of people every week, right? And it depends on where they are in the hierarchy in the sales organizations. But more often than not, we have to remind people that value selling isn't about asking better questions. Value selling is about finding out how much your buyer's answers cost. And then when you put that all together and you show them, like you said, that future state, emotionally, they've, they've visualized it. And now with the right tool, they can quantify that vision because all of their inputs, all of their answers and all of their challenges are right in front of them for an easy presentation. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the work it takes to actually build those areas. And uh, you, you know, you just uh, said the important part isn't asking the questions. It's, it's about getting the customer to value the answers. Right. Uh, but that the getting them to answer the right answers presumes that you you guided them to the right answers and the right topics and the right. So you ask the right questions. Yeah. But asking the right questions isn't the key. Getting them to realize and internalize and visualize their answer inside their head is, is as you said, is, that's the key. Yeah, and, and, and going back to what you mentioned about those elite salespeople, the challenge inside of sales organizations is that they can't copy and paste the elite behavior. They can't scale that part of the process. And when I say that part of the process, what I'm thinking about is the part of the process that includes buyer empathy. The idea that the, what elite salespeople do is they put the needs of the buyer way in front of their product, way in front of their, customer, their, their own company. And they help the buyers feel much more comfortable in exchanging ideas because you and I know, right? And most salespeople do. When you're exposing a, like an opportunity from a salesperson's perspective, you're, the other side of that coin is you're, you're, you're basically acknowledging that there's a mess that somebody hasn't cleaned up inside of your buyer's organization. So some people get a little sensitive about being exposed to having a, you know, a poor performing model or process. 
So it's the idea of making it easy for your buyers to actually share their, their, their story. And the way you do that isn't by saying, okay, you know, those, those direct questions of how many of these and, and what do you think? You know, there's a whole lot of nuance to getting someone to feel comfortable, especially today, because today's environment requires internal, like it's not so much like in the example of HR tech, HR isn't necessarily inside any organization trying to get budget based off a budget that was there last year. Now more than ever, HR is competing against their sales department, their internal IT department. There simply isn't a lot of money to spend right now. So you, if you really want to solve a problem, you have to have a business case. Yeah. You know, I, I really hesitate on, the, on this podcast with like pitching your product, but um, the, way you, the way the ROI shop product works is one that follows the thought process. So I, I don't want to pitch your product, but I want to pitch a product because it follows this thought process that I'm so passionate about. Um, and so when you work with one of your clients, you work collaboratively to help them figure out what their customers and sometimes their customers, customers business is like, what are the business issues? What are the business issues you solve so that you can create uh, a simple interface with, you know, a slider or a, a data entry point saying, this is for, for this problem, this is how bad we've got it. For this issue, this is what we think we could gain and, and so forth. And so it simply asks a series of simple questions with a simple data entry so that that monetary value uh, of what they could, of the future state, yeah. Um, it becomes really clear to them. And so I love the fact that you, you do that, but I want to just back up because once you do that, you realize that that's the finish line. If you got a customer to fill that out, um, you've done a whole series of other sales things really well because the customer won't get to that finish line unless you had that customer empathy. I call it customer acumen or business acumen, but unless you understood the customer's business, unless you related to them and helped them understand their business in perhaps in the way that helps them structure the problem inside their heads, because oftentimes they don't. So all of those sales behaviors that lead up to the finish line, which is the tool that the ROI shop has, um, the tool does no good without Yep. build up and the build up really doesn't get its bare full fruit without the tool. Right. And you know, it's uh, I'll even go further back and say the, the, the number one question most salespeople should be asking right from jump street is simply put, what's the problem we're looking to solve? Right. And so once we, and, and the problem that most sales organizations are looking to solve before they even get to their buyers and their prospects and their clients is how can we make it easy for our sales reps to speak in these terms? How can we scale sales so that there is this value selling process that's embedded throughout the entire process that we have so far? And salespeople don't like change. We know that. So what the, the, the way that the tool is designed is that we work with our clients 
we understand their sales process and we understand what their clients are trying to do. And ultimately we're able to set it up so that that conversation that starts with what's the problem you're looking to solve is already waiting for it. You know, there's a huge, huge difference between checkers and chess, right? In chess, you're playing to a certain piece and you've got to set up certain other pieces to kind of corner off that one or two pieces you're trying to attack. A value calculator like the ones we do allows a sales rep to know going in that they're going to have a low win rate or they have high turnover or they have whatever metric their, their buyer is competing with or dealing with as a challenge. So they have the confidence, our users have the confidence going in, not only knowing what the problem they're looking to solve, but they get comfortable with the tool they know ahead of time just how valuable that is. Yeah. And it's not at all out of the question to have our clients come back to us and say they've stopped doing discounts because yeah. the value, that, that number at the bottom mark is so real, they don't have to discount. It's not part of the conversation. Yeah, and, and one of the things you, you do, and, and you, you said something and uh, it kind of jarred me a little bit to say the problem singular that they have to solve because so many times uh, your differentiation solves a bunch of different problems for your customers. So I would, I would say, I completely agree with everything you said, as long as you change the word problem to problems, problems, sure. uh, because sure. your calculator seeks to uh, what I say is that your differentiation, your value, your, the outcomes that your differentiation can deliver into a customer's business, the, the outcomes that value spreads tentacles throughout your customer's yeah. business. Yeah. And any of those distant parts of the company where you didn't say, hey, you're gonna get a benefit over here. Hey, you're gonna get a benefit over there. Hey, this is $10,000 over here. here. Here, there's a half a million dollars over here. If you don't have those conversations, the customer won't think of them, won't calculate them, and it doesn't exist yet. So that's, that's where that discount, the need to discount comes in, because you didn't, discuss and make real all the problems that you yeah. solve. Yeah, and I'll take it one step further. How many of your competitors do you think are actually doing it that way? Not a lot of them, if any. Yeah, so you, you know, totally, I, right? Like sales organizations are always talking about differentiators, differentiators, but they sell the same way. They use the same process, more or less, right? Qualify, uh, discovery, de demo, and then documents, right? That's the same process, but nobody's able to differentiate themselves like they can using the tool, yeah. Uh, yeah, Keith, I, you know, I, for close to nine years, I was a, a consultant with the big, the, you know, the biggest sales training shop, the Miller Hyman. And since then I've talked to uh, consultants at the other big shops and we all have found that salespeople are really bad at understanding. They're great at understanding their features. They're great at understanding their differentiated features, but they are uniformly awful at understanding the customer's outcomes. Yeah. Because yeah. the ROI shop and, and what you're measuring is the, the dollar value of customer outcomes. So um, your you're forcing salespeople, if I'm going to, tr to, to have a conversation that ends in the quantification of the outcome, right. and that means I have to talk about outcomes, which is something the salespeople are awful at.
That's so right. just the simple fact, as you said, you know where you're going, you know you've got to head to quantified outcomes, and salespeople and sales processes are not outcome focused. They don't go to why the customer's going to buy. That's it's uh, why I think I'm selling to you, and and it is the most common failing. And the irony, um, you know, which is now I'll pitch my book, which is. Uh, that customer outcomes are the source of value. And so I love the fact that the ROI shop is a measurement of the finish line. Now you need to, now you need to build a process and some training, or, you know, which is what I sell, um, to get them, get those conversations successfully to that finish line. But a lot of salespeople are pretty good once you have that outcome denominated finish line in front of them, they can figure out how to do it. And it's, it's really amazing uh, the change in the sales behavior when you tell them that the finish line isn't about features, the finish line is about customer outcomes. And it forces, forces salespeople to get there and to talk about those outcomes, which makes them better salespeople. You know, you mentioned earlier about how not problem, but problems right? We have our own value propositions. And one of them is ramping up new sales, new sales reps. And exactly to your, what you're describing, new sales reps come in and maybe they're seasoned, maybe they're new in the, their career path, but ultimately they want to know why someone buys from their, their new company. And being able to go from the beginning of your career at your new software selling company or any other company really, you're in a position where you can understand, you as a new sales rep can see the finish and then work your way back. So you're more confident, confidence inside of salespeople today because we're not allowed to hang out and shoot the breeze with people. People feel weird about selling online. It makes it harder to build a relationship. So we're hearing how there's this extra level of confidence that you get because you have the right vision from the beginning and you start selling deals faster. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the salespeople that succeeded based on relationship, uh, I had one guy I used to work with, he, he, he uh, called it whiskey and tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. right? If that was your mode of selling, if that was the, the differentiator of you and your relationship with your customers, you don't have that anymore. You can't have that anymore. And so the problems with those kinds of selling approaches have been laid bare in the COVID days. And so now you must be something different. And the best thing to be always has been to be a consultant to your customer, to understand their business and sell value and sell outcomes. And so uh, that's always been where you had to go. But now that the other solutions, you know, the other selling modes have been exposed as so much worse. And now they went from passable, but okay to totally impossible. Um, You've got to get your sales teams into that mode of being a uh, empathetic, uh, high business acumen consultant who's a valued resource. Right. There, There is no other real way to succeed anymore. And you know, the value of those relationships, because I love them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish I was out there talking to people and and mixing it up. The value of having those relationships is that when something goes wrong, 
the sales rep has a sense of ownership. Like I'm not just viewing you as a, a, someone who bought my product. I'm here as part of your team. I want to be able to help you when something goes a little sideways. And if you can't establish that relationship, well, then you might as well prove just how much money you can make or save them. Yeah. And, and have it be, like you said earlier, their, their understanding of the future, their understanding of the solution. That's the best you can offer right now. And it turns out it goes a pretty long way. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody, you know, we, we've all heard those words, no like, and trust. And as true as they are, they aren't the differentiator anymore. They're table stakes. Right. Um, that people only buy from people they know, like, and trust is true, but they don't buy from people that they only know, like, and trust. Correct. Correct. <laughs> right. They buy from people who add value. And right. they add from people who make their lives and businesses better. So, um, and that has never been more true than now. Right, right. You look at the, you look at the, the role that emotion and logic plays in everybody's buying process, right? Like Jeffrey Gittimer, who's one of my core sales influencers throughout my entire career. He's famous for saying, nobody loves, likes to be sold but everybody loves to buy. And love is an emotion. So everyone is always excited to buy something, but you have to help them logically validate the risk of buying something. And risk is generally driven by emotion as well. So like you said, it's that, that blend, that yin and yang, so to speak, of the proper emotion with logic. And if you can't be there to personally have emotional interaction, well, then bring the logic, right? Yep. You know, I, I say the same thing. I, I conjure the, the picture of your buying team, right? In B2B sales, that might be three to six. Average now is 6.8 people. But imagine 10 people around a conference room table, the buying team. Mm -hmm. And they're deciding, you know, what are we going to do about this situation? Which could include do nothing, right? Or let All status quo. And so everybody around that room is faced with the choice of advocating for doing something or doing nothing right. or just being quiet. They can shrink into the wallpaper and what makes somebody want to speak up and advocate for anything is the fact that they love it. The fact that there's a, something personal in it for them. If, mm -hmm. if there's not something in it for them personally, they're going to shrink into the wallpaper and they're going to let the conversation go wherever it will and they'll just shut up and go along. So that team, you've got to help people understand why they're advocating for a course of action because of the social risk of speaking up with a team of people who are all in different part, uh, parts of the company than you are. They aren't in your department, right? right? They aren't part of your silo. They aren't part of your tribe. So you're representing your tribe and you want to look smart and have your department look smart in front of all the other departments. So there's some significant social risk in there. Um, and so you've got to be able to give them the courage to speak up. And that's, you know, measuring that ROI helps them not only love it personally, but be able to speak with authority in front of the rest of that team and saying, look, it, here's $100,000 in savings over here. Here's $50,000 in savings over here. Uh, then they look smart. Right, right, right. And, the, you know, personally, what I'm seeing out there is 
it's almost like the risk hasn't the risk has actually gone up right because there's less money in budgets and everyone's yeah. concerned about making the right or wrong decision but what having the right tool does is allow you to reduce the, the like the other side of the you're lowering the 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 what's the right word i'm looking for the it's not so scary because when you collaborate online because you know to your point these people might be in different departments but now everyone's sitting in different rooms like there's no getting everyone together right now not for the foreseeable future right so you have to make it a team collaboration where maybe this person over here set answers these questions where you're you could buy into it and you go you know i totally see that as being our current state let me add to that instead of I don't want to say the wrong answer because now there's this momentum of a collaboration that before, like you said, if you don't do the collaboration the right way, people will just step back and they're not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. They've got their own agendas, right? They've yeah. got their own budgets. They've got their own interpersonal relationships. That's the beauty of, you know, like the challenger sale and the challenger customer, right? Like how do you know what's really going on behind the scenes? Yeah. Well, one way to do that is collaborate. Yeah. And the other thing I like about uh, that very conversation oriented uh, value calculator, the, your ROI, is that it's not the spreadsheet. Yeah. Because countless times I've had clients who say, ah, oh, we have to build an ROI calculator and they build a, the ROI calculator. and It's a big complicated spreadsheet. And 99% of the time, the use of that spreadsheet tool, when you lob it into a customer, it sidetracks the sale. The sale is put on hold and you go through, I've seen it go months. Uh, the, the, I call it the battle of the assumptions or the battle of the formulas in your spreadsheet. Let's open, send me the spreadsheet. Let's look at the formulas. Let's let me like reverse engineer. And, and you're no longer selling value. You're selling formulas. You're selling assumptions underneath right. that and you've already lost right and you know our fundamental value proposition is that we simply reduce people that use our tool reduce no decisions and you look at the way that the numbers play out right plus or minus five percent i don't care what you sell and who you sell for but plus or minus 25 percent or i'm sorry you're 25 percent of the time you're winning most of the time like that's in the averages you're probably losing 20% of the time, maybe 25% of the time. So at a minimum, 50% of your total opportunities that have gone through the sales process are no decisions. And your buyer champion is working their butt off. They've got their own stresses. They're dealing with a process that's creating them so much pain they actually are choosing to make change they, they don't have time to learn what you know that you've spent your whole career on. They've got, what, two hours, maybe three hours to work with you. And then they're going to go sit in front of their, their CFO and sell your stuff. Doesn't work that way. First time they get challenged, what do they do? I don't know. Damn. I'll go check. I'll, let me go check, right? And then, boom, something else comes up. And then somebody in some faraway sales meeting is saying, why is this opportunity 210 days old? Yeah. Right? Why is it in the forecast? <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Hey, Keith, this is like, we can keep going, but we're running up on some time. What, what have we missed that you want to make sure that we talk about? 
Um, I, again, this has been great. I can talk. I will keep talking about this right after this call. I got another one, right? So yeah. thank you very much for letting me do this with you. Yeah. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, get me on LinkedIn, uh, Keith Compagna, uh, the ROI shop.com or, uh, email me at K Compagna at the ROI shop.com. Great. Keith, thanks. This has been fantastic. Um, I think the tool is fantastic, but the approach that makes the tool fantastic um, is what I really wanted to talk about. And I feel like we really did that very well. So thank you so much for, for being a resource to, to all of our listeners. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where, where value is all in your customer's mind, which means that your success is all in your customer's head. Go out and have a great high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.